Hello, welcome back to Tales from the Pit. I'm your host, Michael Swaim. This is your content warning. This episode concerns military service, a soldier's experiences in Iraq, and, of course, the emotional fallout of those events. Uh, so if that might trigger you or you want to take some time with this one, if that's a personal experience that resonates with you, just know that that's what we're going to dig into today. Obviously, this only represents one soldier's experience, and we certainly don't intend to speak for all service members. Before we get to the interview, I should also say that Christian wrote a beautiful piece about his experiences in Iraq, which he requested to read at the end of the episode. So stay tuned at the end for that piece, and just know that today's opening monologue for me is very much a reaction to that piece. That's not something I usually do. I usually come in with some kind of high-premise concept uh, of my own, but this time I was so inspired by what Christian wrote, I decided to just sort of organically respond to it in my own way. And I think I decided to do that because one of the things that's unique about serving in combat is someone who's never done it truly can't understand what it's like. And I think it's fitting that all I can really do, as someone who has never served in the military, is give you my reflection, as it were, of what I'm hearing from Christian. So that's what this is. It's a little more freeform and performative than you might be used to on this show, but it's short, so humor me. Coming soon to a theater of war near you. War! The movie or show or what have you. Warsaw was raw. Why war? What's war? Well, meet Will. Will heeds the call of duty. Modern warfare welcomes Will with an open arms race. In a world racked by war, war never changes, but war will change Will. Watch. Private Ryan waive his right to sue for injuries sustained in basic killbot training. See, we'll watch V for Vendetta with the squad and wonder what we're here for. Feel how fucking hot it is in groundbreaking 4D. The extra D is for PTSD. What of Will's will? Should Will be killed? Will's will wills everything to the enemy because Will came to kill with kindness, shock hearts, and awe minds. In war, what is it good for? Accomplishing certain geopolitical or humanitarian goals with the application of force. What, 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 what would you do? Text War 1 to drone the wedding, War 2 to waterboard the suspect, or War 3 for Kelly Clarkson. War! Will Wheaton said don't be a dick, but the sandstorm's thick and Will waves water bottles from the back of the truck. Will kind of sucks. IED or IUD? Only you decide. In war, one platoon flies their Black Hawk down a thin red line to Apocalypse. Now, no fury can make a great escape from the Hurt Locker. And even if they could, the VA wouldn't pay for the damages. Will's relieved to give relief. Give flyers door to door and warn the civvies in the 
AO what they've got in store. Wowee, the Wimbledon of war. It's love v love and hate v hate. Barrages back and forth, sidebar. Serena Williams would win a war. War! It's like nothing you've known unless it isn't. Will won't waft home in a body bag. But Will wasn't the only one working those roads. Will comes home to show he's grown, and sometimes late nights on his own recalls the sight of men through sights and groans low, feeling alone. I'm imagining that night as me. Support the troops, Will's broken bones, and may they knit us a demilitarized zone whose name is unironic. The brand new drones are supersonic. Will's wife asks what war was, for Will will sit silent and still, why? War? Wherefore art thou war? Hired goons? Violent video games wash upon God's golden shores? Bastards most inglorious and let the Nazi bodies hit the floor? An active shooter waging a one-man war from the 30th floor? War! It's the gray area that will mess with your gray matter. For worse or better, at the cost of some bloodshed, but who can keep score? Alright, this rhyme scheme is becoming a chore. War! Now playing almost everywhere, right next to the Howard Johnsons. Uh, okay, great. Welcome to the pit, Christian. Hello. It's not as dank as it you'd think, but <laughs> there's more cats per capita than most other pits of depression. That's um, good, though. They help with depression, right? I think like, all animals yeah. help with depression. Just the petting. Well, I don't know. Lobster. <laughs> I don't know. All pets. But the furry ones. We like mammals. Yeah, exactly. Uh, now we're going to get hate mail from snake and lizard lovers. <laughs> we Something have, to cuddle. Is we what have we, close we like. friends who are very, very close to their bearded yeah. dragon lizard. Uh, yeah. Okay. But it's like a big meaty lizard that you yeah. could actually cuddle. Yeah. It is really hard to... I wonder if there's someone out there with a bug that's very dear to them. <laughs> Probably tarantulas. Sure. But I can't think They're of They're fuzzy. But, like, yeah, I don't think that you'd have some kind of beetle that you were very close to. <laughs> Ant farms? <laughs> sea monkeys? <sighs> All right. So there's no way to segue gracefully into what we're going to talk no, of about. Course so not. I think we'll just do it. Um... You served in the armed forces, yes. the army specifically, yeah. right? And uh, is that where is that that why the haircut? Oh, is that an honor of today? Christian no. has a freshly shaved head today. No, that that was not an honor of today. It's just that it felt really hot. Like we get ran into a heat spell oh, for yeah. a little bit, and that was just like, oh nope, nope, I don't want any more hair. <laughs> Good idea. All right, yeah, we're we're in the middle of a newsworthy heat wave in yeah. LA right now. Yeah. Okay, but you did serve in the army yeah. for six years. Is that right? Yeah, five years and uh, five years and eight months. So okay, you can round up to six. It's not <laughs> the way you knew it immediately. I mean, I'm sure there's a few reasons, but I just got to ask. By the end, were you like dying to get out of there? Oh, yeah, I was okay. counting down the days at the end. Because my pal was in the Air Force, knew exactly when he was going to get yeah. out because he went in really excited. Yeah, and then by the end, was like counting the days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. same. Okay. Same All right. And same. we'll hear about why. And uh, uh, yeah, basically, we're going to talk about armed services yeah. and serving the military, which is something that is unimaginable to me <laughs> or like like right before you got here because you were held up by traffic a little yeah. bit uh, to kill time. 
I was playing Spec Ops The Line, yeah, which is a war video game yeah. about conflict in like a Dubai equivalent right. place. And it's literally lauded all the time mm-hmm. for how much it's like, I mean, if you play that, that's basically like, you know what it's like yeah. to be in war. And knowing you were coming here, I was like, this is so laughable. <laughs> like the distance, the emotional distance yeah. is nothing like. So please, if you could just dive in, uh, let yeah. us know your details, like what brought you into the army. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. yeah I, wherever yeah, you want to start. Yeah, I can go for a while. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you can. Yeah. Uh, so when I was... I mean, I think what brought me into the military was kind of the same thing that brought a lot of the people of our generation into the military. And that was our experience was with 9-11. And that was something that, um, I mean, I remember it. I think we all remember it kind mm-hmm. of intensely because mm-hmm. it was a feeling of like uncertainty that was yeah. that glowed really brightly at that time because, I mean, we were untouchable for... 10 years at least from the time that Russia from the time that the USSR fell until 9/11 happened we were that was it we were nothing had we were, had nothing to worry about and so that i would say is the reason the the first off the first reason why i joined it was um that happened so when i was a sophomore in high school so it yeah, was kind of like I think I was a freshman. Yeah. Okay. Something like that. And it was and so I it, it had got me thinking about it already. And it was like, okay, well, if there's going to be a war going on and there's going to be they're going to need people to fight in it and um going out getting out of high school, I don't I'm not going to have any huge commitments or anything like that. So when I was 19, I joined. It was the I think the idea at that point was still I'm going to join because I'm a kid. I don't have any I don't I'm not married to anyone. I don't have any kids. Did you feel you had a career calling yet in any particular direction? Um I had always wanted to act and be in entertainment and stuff mm-hmm. like that cuz like that was even even before I joined the military. Of course, I was in plays and stuff mm-hmm. in high school and my friends and I made videos and stuff like yeah. that for AV. And um so yeah, that this has always been kind of the thing that I knew I wanted to do. Um, but at that time it was, I'll take, I'll take a few years to, to serve my country. And like, I guess it sounds, it's, it's the cheesy, the corny way of saying it, but it was, I wanted to serve the country that I had gotten so much from. Yeah. And that was, that was something that my, my grandparents and my parents who are immigrants, uh, my mom is not. She's uh, first or second generation American, but my on my father's side, they're all immigrants. Okay. So it was very much from the time that I was little. Appreciate what you have mm-hmm. because they're from Guatemala and they there had been a civil war going on there for years and years and years that mm-hmm. they left Guatemala to get to the United States for. So yeah, when I, I was on vacation there and mm-hmm. just taking bus from one location yeah. to another. Guys with uh, a semi-auto rifle stopped, yeah. and the bus driver was like, "They're not gonna hurt anyone." And they came on. They're like, 50 bucks, everyone." And he's like, "Just give them the fifty bucks," and they left. And yeah. so it's like, yeah, there's shit popping off. In yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, and even before like the drug trade and everything uh, made everything in Central America the way that it is now, mm. uh, they had been fighting the war of independence between a lot of the people that were 
supporting the native people and a lot of people that were it's a similar war that has a similar type of conflict to a lot of the conflicts that went on Central America and South America. Sure. Um, but yeah. did you ever, so there are veterans in your family? Is that, um, no, they no? never, I'm the first one. Oh, okay. I'm the first one for, I think, like a ways back yeah, <laughs> since world war two on my mom's side. Right. Um, had you ever considered service before nine 11 or was that really like the catalyst? It was something I think, as growing up as a little boy or somebody who like wants adventure and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And oh. you watch movies, <laughs> watch movies that are based on war and stuff like that for your life growing up. You watch star Wars and you watch anything saving private Ryan. You watch stuff with conflict in it. Saving private that Ryan one is, doesn't yeah. make you be like, that looks fun now. <laughs> That's true. That's what I was wondering. Is like, did you ever see like All Quiet on the Western Front or any um, of the movies where it's like yes. war is horrible? <laughs> yeah, Thin I saw All Quiet on the Western Front, and those um, didn't discourage you. No, it didn't discourage <laughs> me. That was stuff that was more like, because um, that was still it's so far away. It's it's on the TV. The vast so. majority are about World War Two, also, which right. has sort of a historical cast over it to exactly. us. Yeah. And of course, World War Two is the the good war that we were fighting, where we were the good guys. We were fighting Nazis. We were yeah. We were fighting the bad guys of history. So it's yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Of Western it's tough history, to say. at least like that's something if that, like if violence is ever going to be employed, it's the most defensible time we've ever done it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's and that that's g- the general like idea, cultural yeah. idea that we have about World War right. Two is that it was a righteous war. So that was my next question is as as a kid, how conscious were you of the political side of it? Like, did you were you plugged into did you just want to serve your country and go wherever they sent you? Or did you care if there were WMDs there? You know what I mean? How right. much was your political gland developed? Um, yeah, um, in high school, I participated in a walkout. Um, th- that we did in 2000, we were seniors or seniors or juniors in 2003 when the invasion of Iraq started and we did a walkout and I participated in that. Um, so I was against the Iraq war, but I was, I was completely okay with the, the conflict in Afghanistan mm. um, because I felt like that one, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> that, <laughs> That we're there, we were attacked by people who, and at the time, of course, I didn't keep up enough to know that it's like, oh, we, these are Saudi people that attacked us. These are America's allies and stuff like that. Everything's and all a the gray area. Right. I'm not going to argue whether we should or should not <laughs> exactly. have Exactly. We would no. need Cody and Robert Evans here to help out. <laughs> right. But it was, these people are in Afghanistan. That's where they're operating. That's where right. the Taliban is. That's where Osama yeah. bin Laden is. And we don't need to bother. It, it's okay because yeah. this is the pit. So we just want to know how you feel, <laughs> yeah. how you felt about it. But, and that's, to yeah. me, that's, that's how it was. And so I enlisted um, expecting my, my initial, I guess, thought about me enlisting was that I would do about a year or however long I had to. I think it was two <laughs> years. <laughs> Five years and eight months later. Right. <laughs> No, I was. Uh, I did that long a contract because I wanted to, because uh, I was too young to be going into special forces, and that's what I had wanted to do originally. And so, in 
A, d- did you study and know exactly what a special forces life entailed versus, okay. And B, how close is it to what, like someone who watches TV, <laughs> like, did you want to, cause I always hear this crazy shit. Like, right. well, you know, they train by like being sunk with weights in the ocean oh, overnight yeah, yeah. and all this shit. <laughs> I mean, there's there's some truth to like the the rumors and stuff like that. When I was actually in the military, um, we got to, to repel. Know, um, I mean, I didn't <laughs> learn to repel. We did repelling in basic training. So, um, oh, see, I don't, that's basic. I don't even right. what. Then what is special forces? That was, just, no, that was walking down. That's like walking down a wall. Is, okay, is that kind of repelling? Yeah. I didn't actually go to air assault school, which would be repelling from a helicopter. Oh and stuff shit! Like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, that was my initial intent was to go into special forces, and that I guess the job there. A lot of times the the job that is actually happening is they are going into other countries. They're being deployed in other countries and training local people to fight. And that's they are the first people into a lot of places. There's there's an entire um, AFRICOM, which is uh, America's African command, where we send special forces people. We have a bunch of different groups of special forces that go to South America, Africa, um, Asia and I can't remember where else, but there's, they go to all moon base alpha. (laughs) They do go to all sorts of different places and that's kind of their, their deal is that they go in to a lot of, a lot of times it's to train. Um, well, so local nationals with your eye on special forces, because this is really parallel to my buddy Griffin. He joined the Air Force mm-hmm. specifically wanting to be like a fighter pilot and yeah. then an astronaut. Mm-hmm. And it didn't work out, ironically, because on his tests, yeah. he did perfectly well in the yeah. flight simulator. But he's so smart that he did even better on the number crunching. So they gave him a job crunching numbers. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're yeah. like, there's a dumb guy who only scored 100 yeah. percent on the flight test. He'll be the fighter pilot. Um and there's so few slots. I imagine right. special forces is probably very competitive too. Yeah. Uh, but is it true? So like across the board, the thing I, f- I feel I've taken away and I want to be mm-hmm. corrected if it's not true is at every level, mm-hmm. like you just said about teaching, uh, it's mostly routine or like, it's like a job. Like yeah. you're not just constantly having action scenarios play out. (laughs) And I'm just wondering how much as a 19 year old with your eye on special forces, I have to ask looking back, do you feel you had a realistic understanding of like what a special forces life would be like? And you really wanted to do that. Or were you partly swayed by the adventureness of it all? Like that sounds badass. Yeah. I was partially swayed by the adventure of it, of the idea that I would get a call in the middle of the night and then have to be, gone to somewhere that I don't know for six months yeah and like somewhere in the world doesn't matter where and there yeah that adventure part did appeal to me but at the same time it was once I got into the army it was kind of learning that yeah it's an everyday like you have your everyday routine and stuff like that but part of the everyday routine is getting up really early and doing physical training Part of it is um, weapon drills. Part of it is maintenance. Part of it is uh, going actually going out to ranges and stuff like that, where you do learn how to clear rooms and you learn how to um, shoot things at 300, 300 meters is just without 
without any kind of special scope. And like, that's, it's a job, but it is a job where you're training for those action scenes. Yeah. Like that's, so you try to train as realistically as possible. Um, but generally, unless you're a statistical anomaly, right. only if, like being an ER doctor, only a few truly like action scenes yeah. will play out over True. the course of your career. And uh, I want to ask how long it took, I guess, for the shine to wear off or to not put view it in a negative way. When did you start having a more complex emotional understanding of like, here I am now, yeah. this is what it's really like. What was that like? Um, I guess th I can answer because those are kind of two different moments for me. Sure. The shine started wearing off um, even before I had ever gotten deployed. Uh, it doesn't had, bode well no. for the rest of the story. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it was it was a situation where I had been in for I don't, maybe not even a year at that point. But um yeah, it wasn't a year. I'd been in for like eight months at that point. Mm -hmm. And we were just doing a regular run, doing a five-mile run. And one of the guys stopped in front of me. I kept going. My foot landed on its side, and I tore three ligaments of my ankle. And so I fell down, tried to get up, couldn't like do it steadily. But then my squad leader, who will remain nameless, is um, telling me to get up, run keep going right and like because he thinks that i guess i'm faking it or something so then i finish like t another two and a half miles with my ankle like that and then for the rest of the day i walk around on it until about until the afternoon comes and i take my boot off finally because as soon as i got back mm. i changed from my athletic shoes into my regular uniform and i just cinched it as tight as i could because i it hurt so but like i didn't want to say your anything. ankle together yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so I take my boot off at the end of the day and one of my team leaders happened to be coming in and he looked at it. I hadn't even really looked at mm -hmm. it. And he said, what happened to your ankle? And I, I looked at it. I was like, oh, crap. And it had swollen up like bigger than a grapefruit. And it was oh, my God. All bruised and just looked awful. And he was like, you're going to the hospital right now. <laughs> yeah. Like I get the culture of pushing through pain, but right. you're supposed to not break the soldier. Yeah. Mechanically, we need you functioning. <laughs> That is true. That was a bad and, decision. Yeah. And so it wasn't even, I guess, that moment, but then further continuing to have to deal with the the medical system and like it's impossible. Like I was supposed to be doing physical therapy after I was I was basically on bed rest for about a week because mm -hmm. they didn't want me putting any weight on it. And then they said, get up and walk around and do stuff for another couple months and then we'll get you doing physical therapy. Physical therapy never happened. Um a few months later it had healed well enough for me to like move around and stuff and to start like running again. It still hurt, but like I could <laughs> functionally do stuff with it. And so I, I still did like we had an expert infantryman thing that we had to do. And so I still did that 12 mile ruck marches with 30 pounds on my back and like doing that in less than three hours mm. and doing stuff like that. And I, and it hurt, but it wasn't like so painful that it was completely debilitating. So I just kind of pushed through for a while. And um, when I finally got an MRI on it, which had been, which was like years down the line, uh -huh. they said it had, yeah, it had healed, but it had healed wrong. So 
basically I was at the point where either you have to deal with, there's going to be pain in it every once in a while, at least for basically the rest of your life, or we can do surgery on it, disconnect a bunch of stuff and then reconnect it to where it heals correctly. And one of your feet is a wooden peg. I've always (laughs) wondered how that happened. So this is great backstory. But yeah, and so that <laughs> like it's the best military medicine military has to offer you. <laughs> but yeah, and so that all happened within the first like nine months of or well, not nine months. I guess that all happened within the first year of me being in the military sure. was my first experience with the medical system. And like that really put me off of joining special forces. And then like I got married. And so that also put me off of joining special forces because okay. I was like, and that, through no fault of my wife, because she, she told me, like, if I still want to do it, then do it. But oh. at the same time, there's always that pull of, like, okay, I'm going to be – now I'm living in a relationship right. that is for two people that my life cannot just be thinking about myself and, like, oh, sure, I'd like to – it would be fun – fun – but it was it's still exciting i guess mm-hmm. to the, at the prospect of doing special forces and um going through stuff like that and being deployed for 6 months into the middle of wherever and i can't talk about it and like the mystery of it's right. cool <laughs> but um well how long would you be deployed at a stint once you're deployed um, special forces goes anywhere from, or no i mean you cuz oh, you didn't eventually go into special yes forces, i yeah. did i did get deployed even just as a regular cuz i was an infantryman mm-hmm. so um that so i ended up getting deployed twice uh for a year each time to afghanistan uh to iraq so ouch yeah okay <laughs> yeah because you could you said going in you're like i'm much more on board with the conflict in afghanistan yeah. but they don't give a shit right. what which one you prefer you to go to you. that's because uh, i ended up because <laughs> when i ended up deploying was when they were doing the surge and stuff like that and mm-hmm. so at the time it did suck but it was like we hadn't found weapons of mass destruction. We, they were not there. And so it was at, in the rebuilding phase. And I did end up doing some stuff that I was happy to do, but we, had, we were rebuilding because we had broken stuff. So, <laughs> But in the moment, you felt like you uh, did service to yeah. people like yeah. on the ground. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because at the time, um, yeah, I guess I'll get into actual deployment sure. now. please. At the time, it was my first deployment. The The main objective was creating stability in our area of operations and then um, getting out because that's when AQI, Al-Qaeda in Iraq, um, had they had started getting a foothold and that was part of the Iraq civil war and all sorts of stuff like that. And that's when insurgency, that's when the insurgency had already actually started happening was happening was when I joined. And then um, when we got deployed was basically stomp out whatever insurgency is in the area and then rebuild the area, help them make schools, help them get their city council or whatever together help them do all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And that was what our job ended up being. 
What did the stomping entail? Was that a bombing campaign or a uh, ground yeah, campaign? Yeah, for the most part. For okay. the most part, because um, that's how we do now usually, right? Right. Yeah. It was it was telling everybody to get their get out of the area of operations, mm. or otherwise, at this time, everybody's going to be considered combatants, mm. and then um, so that was mostly calling in strikes from helicopters and stuff like that. Um, obviously. Uh, my unit and other units would come into small arms fire contact and stuff like that. But a lot of times if uh, you can pinpoint where it is and then they're in a building or something like that and you're out in a field, then the smartest thing to do is to call in a helicopter strike mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So there was that's what the initial like few months, which <clears throat> just to clarify, um, because I had been in Korea for a year, I ended up missing the first like three months of the deployment, um, which was the time when they the heaviest serving uh, in korea well it was because oh. korea korea is called considered <laughs> Didn't that war ends when <laughs> mash wrapped up <laughs> it's considered a hardship duty tour because you're not because the war is not technically over and um you're based on the dmz in case something i does see happen. okay so holding down the tenuous line between north and south okay right. So you're not allowed not to bring the family. Not the Korean right. War. The new <laughs> Korean War. No, I'm not uh, time traveling. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, how was this all affecting your emotional state? I mean, you mentioned small arms fire, and even if it's far away, yeah. that's something most people don't ever confront. Yeah, the first time that I had ever run into actual small arms fire that I could, like, Not see. a shooting range. Yeah, like right. enemies. That yeah. was directed at me was we were doing a patrol uh it was the 10k patrol that we were just on foot walking and all of a sudden we there's like puffs of dirt and then we hear cracks in the distance we don't know where it's coming from exactly so i'll get down behind whatever cover we could because we were kind of in an open ish field with some like trees and uh stumps i and i hid behind a rock and then uh so that happens i see where it's coming from and it's one of the guys there that are wearing a reflective belt reflective belts at the time were designed to designate people who we had hired to hold security on certain points Mm -hmm. locals who had started who we were trying to integrate into their own security force and so it was one of them that had been shooting at us we never got confirmation on whether or not they were supposed to like if who it was because by the time we got to where they were the the guys basically i i think the guy that had shot at us had run away because he was scared that we were going to fire back fire on back him. yeah we we ended up not because we saw that it was one of the local nationals that and um my lt basically Told or a guy with a down. stolen belt is right. that possible or are Completely they really possible. okay okay yeah <laughs> very easily possible but my um platoon commander the lieutenant w- that was with us uh basically told us to stand down mm-hmm. we didn't end up engaging with the people um so by the time we got there they our interpreter basically made it clear to us that they were like their story was not that trustworthy sure but um but yeah so we just finished the patrol after that um and that's the first time and then well so i notice uh you are very 
dryly giving like the events. Yeah. I mean, they're not, they're interesting because it's amazing that you went through that, but I will circle back to my question. Mm-hmm. How'd you feel as that was happening? Or is that, is it some, I mean, cause I've heard that thing where it's so surreal that you don't really have feelings while it's happening or. Yeah. While it's happening. Um, the military is very good at training you to respond through muscle memory mm. to just react mm. and you don't have to think at all. And so that's what seeing puffs of dirt, hearing cracks, getting, then I'm down behind a rock before I know that I'm actually thinking about doing that. And my, I'm sighting whoever's shooting at us before I'm even, I, I have a conscious so thought. So your brain is not thinking if I get shot, it'll hurt so bad. <laughs> No, no, that's, that's like, not, there's no room for that. No, okay. the, because and that's <laughs> that's a some that's a thing that you prepare for, and even I mean prepare for in like even in the grimmest ways you prepare for it. We all wrote notes to our families and to our loved ones that we would keep in our patrol caps or right. in one of our pockets in case we were killed. Yeah, that's just. A thing of course well that guy just missed probably because he's too far away right but he could have gotten lucky so exactly to speak. yeah and so we that is something that you are keenly aware of when you're not in the moment you are very much 100 percent aware that death is a real thing okay that so is. you do met like you do find yourself ruminating on yeah. the emotional aspect but just not when you're actually doing the patrol right and not when you're in the moment of contact, when mm-hmm. you're in the moment of being in a firefight or being shot at when you're just in a mounted patrol and you don't know where the shots are coming from. This right. is something that happened on a regular basis. People would just take pop shots at us when we were doing a mounted patrol, which is in in vehicles, and we wouldn't necessarily know where it came from, so we can't just shoot into into mm-hmm. wherever we think it's coming right. from. We have to wait to actually get confirmation that it's coming from a certain place. So we just keep driving. Like it's something you hear, you hear the crack. And then sometimes if it gets close enough, you hear it making a noise. Yeah. But it's not, I mean, nobody actually got, nobody was ever killed that way mm-hmm. during my deployment. So um, yeah, it's just, I guess, it's a low, it's a dull, low tension a hundred percent of the, the time, time that you're there yeah. that spikes occasionally, not when you're in the middle of combat, because then you're just working on muscle mm-hmm. memory and adrenaline, but then occasionally when you're by yourself, when you have it a quiet spiral, moment, right. Right. Okay. It gets, it can spiral really quickly. And, and what that's... about when you were, cause you mentioned like going around and telling people to get out of the area of operation before mm-hmm. bombing campaign. Uh, I imagine, I mean, it's still tense, but yeah. it's how did, how did you feel when you were interacting with people like civilians that you knew were civilians and yeah. Um, once telling them we're going to bomb your block <laughs> that you live on soon, you have to go. Once we had actually started interacting with the local people, it was, it was in, in the sense that it was, um, it's it does a f- funny thing in your brain to when they're non-combatives it's they're non-combatives they're mm-hmm. they're people that are there they live there and it's we're there to make this place more secure so it completely changes 
your any kind of um, any kind of interaction that you would have with them from when they were they could have possibly been a hostile person mm. to now your brain it's a switch that goes on and off basically and um <laughs> that's what i told you before that i'm very good at compartmentalizing because and that's a skill really it's very fluid right right you from person to person they'll have their own complex feelings about right. all the way from no i want you dead to i'm in the middle to i love yeah. america or i want you right. in her seat at least yeah. yeah and for me that's why the the combat thing and the i guess that that killer instinct and that muscle memory that was drilled into me, that's it's a switch for me. Okay. It it is something that I don't know that I actively turn it on and off, but I know that it goes on and I know it goes off. Mm-hmm. Um because I mean, and this is just this is a secondary thing, but recently in the the last uh world history class that I was taking, um, they did they did the audio from a poetic reading of the uh of the Quran and they played the audio for us mm-hmm. and it was basically the Quran is meant to be uh, recited. It's meant to be listened yeah. to. It's, it's, it was something that was passed down. Um, oral tradition. Orally. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was, so when I heard it, even in class, it like tickled the switch mm-hmm. in my brain and it completely like destroyed me for the rest of the day. Like I couldn't, come down from being on high alert after that with what feeling anxiety yeah it was because now because now i'm so removed from that that it's sad because it's like a beautiful treatise on love just like the bible yeah yeah and i'm fine with like cognitively (laughs) yeah yeah, it was nothing right like it was just a normal thing in a history class yeah but there was it like i said it it brushed against that switch in me. And now because I'm so far removed from that, I wasn't like, I wasn't functional for the rest of the day. Man. I couldn't calm my brain down. Yeah. The and stimulus is so specific to you. Cause I read a good article interview with a guy who was a bomb squad guy. Yeah. And a couple bombs were found in trash cans and, that, and yeah. that's what gets him. And they're mm-hmm. so fucking, they're everywhere. So like on <laughs> yeah. trash day, he can't go outside. Like if he sees yeah. a trash can out the window, that'll wreck him all day. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And that's just, I'm, I'm lucky because it is something that's very specific. That's like, Oh, they would play, um, they would play prayers through loudspeakers and stuff like that from whatever mosque was nearby. And we would just hear it sometimes on patrol or we'd hear it when we were at, uh, right. at a base. So it's like exactly like a Pavlov's dog. Yeah. <laughs> this was literally blasted every day and yeah. you associate it with your time there. Yeah, yeah. of course. And I, it was just a subconscious association that yeah. I have no control over. Right. Because like, like you said, it is, it's a lot of it. It's, it's musical. It's lyrical. It's, it's supposed to be beautiful. And it is like, I can objectively say that it sounds beautiful, but there's that part of me that can't turn. Or you're off. a Cylon <laughs> and it's summoning you. <laughs> but yeah. So, I mean, so yeah, that's, that's just an aside, but that's, yeah. The, like I no, said, for see to me, that's the meat. I think that is, I can tell you're good at compartmentalizing. Sure. Because, like, it's interesting to me in the present moment right. that you like to go, and I felt this way about it, and that doesn't matter. <laughs> but back to, uh, there was a rock, there were trees, there was yeah. a Humvee, yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm, that's a coping mechanism, I'm sure. Sure. And 
that's why like it took me a few weeks to a couple months. I'm not sure exactly when it happened, but I was just sitting quietly in my room. My roommate was doing whatever. It was dark because we like to keep it dark because it gets so bright. Mm -hmm. And um, I was just sitting there by myself thinking about whatever. And the moment came back to me and I saw it and I saw everything. And I saw the guy in the sights of, my weapon that I was carrying and like you feel the the trigger on your finger and stuff like that and phantom trigger right you mean the moment the small arms fire yeah. moment? yeah and like I said I didn't I never even ended up pulling the trigger but in that moment when I'm detached from it when I'm by myself in my room it's then all the thoughts come in of that guy has a family why am I here? What's going on? How am I able to so coldly do something like that and just be ready to take a life without even thinking about it? Um, because, and of course, because that's answers, your job. Yeah, you're trained to do that. Exactly. I was trained. Yeah, to do but, exactly that thing. But then, when I'm thinking about it, it's, it's oh, it it I guess the the arrogance <laughs> of a young man comes in thinking the army isn't going to be able to change me. I'm different. There's I'm, I'm more mentally capable of resisting their training and stuff like that than other people. If I ever, if I ever have to take a life, it's going to be something that I think about and that it's going to be something, a decision I make. Like even under fire, you think your brain will be able to parse everything and make like a really ethical decision. Yeah, exactly. Because when you're 19, (laughs) those are the kinds of things that you think about yourself. That's how capable you think you are. Or like, that's how unhuman you think you are. Well, yeah, we, I just did an episode with Maggie May and we both talk about how we idolized martyrdom and imagined always like going into a war and then as the two sides come out like going in the middle and like putting our gun down (laughs) and everyone's so touched that they like stop but they've already shot us it's too late and then we're revered forever as like a person (laughs) of peace uh yeah you do feel you feel like you could be the one to save the day exactly and i'm sure that added to the sense of responsibility like you want to be there because you know you have your heart in the right place right it's better than there could be an asshole there. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, dangling water that's, bottles out the back of the truck yeah. like a dick. That's part of the reason why I joined is because yeah. I, I think me being there is a better thing than somebody who is a sociopath who just wants a reason to kill people. Because I'm not saying that that's a lot of people in the military, but I think that there are people that absolutely feel that way that join the military because they want the experience of killing people. I'm is probably not even responsible to say out loud, but because of course, because like if you're born a sociopath and become fascinated with murder and are smart enough to realize that you'll go to jail almost any way you slice it. Otherwise, that's kind of your only opportunity to experience that or make billions of dollars and secretly (laughs) run a murder camp. But like, yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense in the same way that. We have such a police issue with racism and yeah. it's not to like, it's weird. It's, it's both diminishing and true. Right. They're like, it's a few bad apples. Right. But that's, or like, I do believe a minority sure. of cops. And I still think there is the same conditioning thing yeah. where parts of the training for police yeah. is uh, reinforcing 
subconscious racism that's part of the issue but you're gonna attract people who yeah. do want to beat the shit out of people yeah. of course yeah there's, there's a gonna few be a bad pers- apples right. in any community but you gotta get them <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's not that doesn't mean so we're good right like if i had a if i bought <laughs> you a, don't stop talking after there's a few bad apples i never thought of that <laughs> if i went to the grocery store and i bought a bag and there were like six bad apples in the bunch like rotten apples sure. i would not buy that bag <laughs> of apples exactly there shouldn't be any yeah but yeah and so i don't know that's like i said that is something that attracted me to the military right. in the first place i because it's like I said, the arrogance of a young man is to think that you're beyond things like that. And then the reality hitting you in the face it, in a quiet moment by yourself is a lot. It's it's something I've never had a panic attack, but it was something that certainly made my brain spiral for a little bit mm-hmm. and into a bad place. And then, of course, you have to come out of it and go on patrol after that. And but like I said, there's that switch that just turns on when it's like, oh, time to do my job. Yeah. I'm sure you've done a lot more processing since. Yeah. Like now you have the rest of your life to actually yeah. figure out what you thought yeah, about exactly. it. Um, you did mention sort of the, I mean, I think it was most pronounced, at least in our, the mythology of America in Vietnam, but like sure. the fatigue of like, because it's got to be even harder if you're someone who joined to actually impact the geopolitical situation positively. Sure. Um, I'm sure you must have had moments where you realized that your impact is very small, no matter yeah. how hard you try. Yeah. And then you mentioned moments of like, are we even doing the right thing in a, yeah. in the grand sense? Yeah. Uh, how did, did that become like a dominant force towards the end of your career or towards did you the- keep it at bay? Were you able to do the classic Christian compartmentalization <laughs> move? Because I know you're very, you know, you're very politically conscious. Sure. Uh, we're going to a protest tomorrow. Yeah. What, how did that interplay with your emotional state while you were there? Or did you keep it at a distance? Um, for the most part, I was able to keep it at a distance when it came to um, everyday stuff. Uh, when it came to stuff when I wasn't deployed, it was very easy to keep it at a distance. Um, cause it's like, um, somebody else is going to be doing this job if I'm not doing it. And right now we're just training, we're doing all these things that potentially could be a positive thing. They could contribute to a positive force, but at, and of course I got lucky that I was all of my years in the military. Um, a couple were served under Bush, but at the end I was serving under Obama mm-hmm. and that's somebody who I felt like at the time. I'm like, oh, this is somebody who's responsible because he's the one that decided to pull us out of Iraq, and that's mm-hmm. something that I supported. And then also, he's the one that authorized the mission that got Osama bin Laden. And yeah, and he shut down Abu Ghraib like you said right. he would. No, <laughs> it was and only he stopped drowning everyone yeah. when he got out of office. <laughs> <laughs> right, but yeah, of course, at the time it was going from President Bush, who I disagreed with and I did not vote for. Um, I'm comfortable saying that, whatever. <laughs> oh, I'm a big Obama fan. I'm just yeah. big on being not denying yeah. bad shit about people you idolize. Yeah. Right. And, no, no, no. <laughs> and I completely agree because yeah. it's only afterwards that living under the Obama administration. And it was only after I got out, I think that we started finding out about the drone program being mm-hmm. as big as it was. And like, Oh, 
it's not as like accurate and safe as the, <laughs> yes. as they purport it to be. It's killing children and families too. Yeah. And so um fortunately for me that didn't happen while I was in the military. Didn't overlap. Right. And so um yeah, a lot of it was I was able to just kind of be detached from it when I was doing everyday stuff. Um occasionally during my second deployment uh and like I said, in the quiet moments, it's it was hard to reconcile and deal with, especially because, um, and I think I'm good to talk about this stuff, but um, when I was there and during my second deployment, we were training the Iraqi army mm-hmm. to take over for us because we were already... Um, oh, special forces dudes are rappelling down the window. <laughs> I don't think you're cleared to discuss this. <laughs> No, sorry. But we on. were no, we were already training them to take over for us. Sure. And so um, we were working with the Iraqi army, and of course, a lot of people in leadership positions in the Iraqi army had been people that had been because we completely got rid of the bath party, mm-hmm. um, which was a bad idea logistically. Uh, that meant that the military leaders that we ended up working with a lot of times had operated in insurgencies. They had killed Americans. They had done stuff like that. And so I ended up doing my last six months of my second deployment, uh, working intelligence with the, the Iraqi army intelligence people and a couple of the people there, it <laughs> a couple, a couple of their commanders and stuff like that. We knew like some of the bad stuff that they had done. We Awkward. Knew. Yeah. No, but yeah, like it sounds like Sicario <laughs> shit. We're like, there is no good, there is no bad. Like, yeah, it's just a change. He changed his badge and his nameplate. Now he's on our side. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And that that is what was happening. Yeah. And so it was harder to reconcile during my second deployment. I'll it bet. was it during that time. It's like, what are we even doing? Like, there the ideas of good and bad and stuff like that. You ha- hang really, around long enough that you're like. Like he was on the big board of people we hated yeah. four years ago. Exactly. Did everyone forget that? <laughs> we patrolled looking for him several times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's got to be rough. Yeah, and so that's, like I said, I'm able to do the job of collecting intelligence and then writing reports and disseminating intelligence while I'm on, while I'm working my whatever hour shift. But then when I'm by myself in my room, it's like I'm... It, it's hard to get away from mm-hmm. what is going on. What am I doing? And that's not to mention that at that time, uh, I was having a really rough time, um, in my marriage. So it's, it was just, my second deployment was not harder physically or mm-hmm. even necessarily mentally with the adjusting because your first deployment is, it's a brand new thing. Yeah. But it was definitely um, harder in a mental sense that I was keenly aware of what was going on, but then also struggling with stuff back home. And, and wanting your life to come together stuff. back home. So right. like, yeah, having your focus on the future after the army. Right. And so it's, that one was difficult for its own reasons. Um, but yeah, for sure, the shine wore off completely then. And it was because... Right before the deployment, I had extended my enlistment so that I could be with my unit 
through my second deployment mm-hmm. and have a couple months afterwards to out process. But like once I'm in the middle of it, and of course, once you sign that contract, it's that's that <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> but yeah, there was a part of me that regretted it when I was there, and it was just it was it was hard. It was something that was definitely, I guess, maturing as a person into that as was yeah it was hard it was do you tough to live see with. any positive aspects did it mature you in a way you appreciate or do you think you could have done that outside the army um <laughs> i do think i could could have matured i would have matured personally um outside of the army but yeah there are certainly parts of me that i have to attribute to the fact that i was in the army um I'm pretty unshakable now. Mm. Like there's that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. As <clears throat> I don't freak out over small things. Um, I'm always kind of able to tr- look at the big picture and not worry about. And then th- there's a part of me that would not be doing this right now. And by this, I mean like trying to get small beans going yeah. and like um, working on, being an actor and stuff like that there would be a part of me that did was not bold enough if i hadn't gone through the army because what what can i go back to that like that what's will the be danger worse? i'll be embarrassed yeah. i won't get the audition like or like even you don't if care. i don't get an audition even if yeah. i'm not even if i'm unemployable as an actor will they take a shot at me with a gun like there's nothing (laughs) there's no bottom floor for me when it comes to that so it's i'm not going to be thrown out into another country in the desert again and told to fight people trying to think if small beans could somehow get us mixed up in (laughs) gunplay with like it would be organized crime or something not a war scenario you know we take out too many loans Uh, yeah, well, hopefully yeah. we don't do that. <laughs> That's not your call to make. <laughs> I'm just saying I hope that. Oh, okay, good. Uh, how has it been since? Because you say you're able to keep everything fairly stable. Mm-hmm. Are you? Do you still ever have your brain cycle out of control over this stuff or these memories? Or is it that no. didn't happen to you? Because, um, you know, the classic image is the haunted. Right soldier i'm not haunted by this stuff because there's a part of me that was able to reconcile the fact that reliving that stuff in my brain isn't going to change anything now um and i had to kind of come to that realization and so now it's do whatever i can to make a positive impact and to make the world better and to try to make sure that we don't have conflicts like that anymore. Like that's, that's a thing that is, that drives me. And so, yeah. Um, of course there's the moments there's sure. moments like hearing the Quran. Like anxiety can still yeah. come over you. Sure. That stuff still comes back and, but it's not, I'm lucky. I don't have PTSD. <laughs> Like, I'm, it's weird. If if people shoot at me, I'll still get nervous. <laughs> like, I will. I'll get a little nervous. <laughs> no, I, I consider myself very lucky that I don't have PTSD, at least not. I mean, I, it's never been diagnosed. It's never been anything like that. And I don't have, 
I don't dwell it's on not debilitating memories. at least yeah. it's not impacting it's something your life. that does come back that of course it's a part of my life but there it's a part of me extreme but extreme situations right when you remember them feeling emotions is normal yeah. to a point yeah of course yeah <laughs> yeah it's not flashbacks it's not right waking up in the middle of the night sweating and right it's none of that how how's the army treated you as a vet i just have to ask because like our our understanding the public is that it's like shit the, they treated you like <laughs> shit <laughs> i'm in a weird middle ground when it comes to the military because i did serve two combat tours they are required the va was required to give me i think five years five years of actual complete medical coverage and then after that it's x amount for me to use their medical coverage so i'm not technically insured now Mm -hmm. but i can always go back to them and it's at whatever rate that i'm able to afford according to the money that i'm making um but yeah, it's the VA is very specifically for people who were injured in the military and for those injuries. Unless you get How's your ankle these days? It's like it hurts every once in a while, but it's like I can walk and I'm okay with it. I think if yeah, the the constant pain that I felt for a while is I feel like is probably just edited out now in mm-hmm. my brain cuz it's like okay, and, this is just something that is sure forever now. <laughs> it's not something that is that's that actively. Oh, you might have just me. habituated to yeah. it. Yeah. And because it's not something I notice anymore unless it really hurts. Right. But um, but my question is, if you went in, would they cover it? If still? I went in, they would. And the pain was getting worse and they did MRIs and they saw that it was worse then they would do something about it. But until it gets to that point, no, they're not going to do but it. But they don't cover so like if you get in a car accident tomorrow they don't cover that no. it had to be okay i didn't know that the it has, to be, has to be sustained during their your tour yeah their wording is service connected okay so it's not necessarily so ptsd counts even if it manifests right. later exactly. but, but it has to have a connection mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah and so that's kind of how they handle anyone unless you have a high enough disability percentage then you get va medical care for the rest of your life um, so I'm in, like I said, I'm in a weird middle ground where I'm not technically injured enough or debilitated enough mm. to get their coverage for the rest of my life. Okay. But I was also did two tours of duty, mm-hmm. two combat tours. So they were they required like you. to, <laughs> you're, you're high on the yeah, some yeah. list. So yeah, exactly. I'm, I still get treated there if I can afford it. Okay. So we'll still have to do an episode with some haunted PTSD ridden soldier who can't get <laughs> medical coverage. Cause that's a, that's, that's a very a pressing issue yeah. in, in America. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I certainly don't want to, uh, omit any, I feel like we could probably do a part two of just stories. Sure. Um, but it, did you have any other major threads you want to share? Um, I don't think so. And well, I guess my I'm, thoughts today, on we, yeah. we have time forever, <laughs> but yeah. No, my thoughts on the military just in general, I think my service was a good thing because it like I said, it gave me it gave me confidence that I didn't necessarily have. It gave oh, yeah, me Yeah, there's a quote. Would you recommend a young person going right. to the military now? Um I'd say that it is an individual choice for everyone to make because 
if you feel morally completely objected to it, I think, yeah, don't serve in the military. But I also think personally that there, everybody should do something where they serve other people. Um, whether that's, you could work as a janitor, you could work as, as a garbage man mm-hmm. or a firefighter or a police officer, military, whatever. Any kind of civil service you want to do, I think people should do it yeah. because I think there is an element. Not enough people understand that you can find yourself in giving what you have to other people in a in a big sense not like in a codependent like relationship no sense. no 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 <laughs> the uh yeah the act of giving yeah. is one of the most selfish things like you benefit so much from it yeah, internally exactly. i hear i haven't ever done it but <laughs> but you, you can <laughs> generosity out. i hear it's nice fills you with some kind of feeling that's warm but now you figure out what you're good at you can you can find yourself and what you're capable of and I do think the challenge for me of the military was another thing that was certainly like there there because I think there's a lot of stuff goes on with uh, the men of our generation and a little bit younger that um, we've lost a lot of our rituals and stuff like that that the world lets you know when you're a man kind of a thing Oh, that's a whole nother episode. No, we'll we'll do thing. a ma- No, I'm not trying to show you up, but I'm saying that made me realize we could do a masculinity episode. That'd right. be interesting. Yeah. And, and I think that the military specifically for me was good in that sense. That oh, is there like, masculinity culture in the military? <laughs> okay. Like, cause I never got into the hyper macho stuff of like always wanting to, the toxic aspect. Sure. <laughs> I, cause I don't want to decry one thing as being toxic or whatever other aspects that are not, that's not for this episode, but I do think that the service acts, the service and the difficulty of actually making it through basic training and my time in the military were both very good for me. Mm hmm. Because they let me know that I can do something that's hard. Basically, it was the the way that I think of it is you do something hard until that thing that is hard is easy. Then you find something else that's difficult to do and make that easy. And that's that's kind of me as I am now. And I learned that by going through that really difficult thing and by serving and giving myself completely – Mm-hmm. to to something bigger to a larger than community yeah yeah so i'd say for guys that don't be a goddamn hedge fund manager <laughs> like no that's i actually think that's the yeah one of the greatest wastes of time on earth you can spend that's not actively doing evil is to shuffle numbers around so that other people's numbers get shuffled around like sure. find a way that you actually serve a community yeah. in a concrete way yeah. money doesn't count <laughs> <laughs> to me. No, and I agree. Unless because, they're impoverished. Sure. <laughs> That's different. But, but then you're but then that is service because if you're trying to if you're somebody who's an accountant who helps people get their books together and stuff like that who don't understand who doesn't have who don't have financial literacy that's serving. Yeah. That's That's not really what I'm Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's Attacking. not what you're talking about. No. <laughs> but yeah, and so I think there's something that was good for me in becoming a man and the man that I am um, that went along with the military because it, 
I guess there's something we're we're all strong physically. I maybe we're not all strong physically, but we all have <laughs> strengths. And my strength was physical, and so learning to use it in a way that helps other people was good for me. And you, everybody, I think everybody should learn to use the strengths that they have to help whoever doesn't have that strength. In today's technologically advanced yeah. military, do you have to be that physically strong to make an impact? Because um, my understanding was if I joined, I would get an exoskeleton. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was in the infantry. There's still positions for people, I think, who are not sure. Yoked. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, <laughs> you can be in the Air Force and like. Oh, burn, burn, <laughs> Griffin. <laughs> I just mean that you can be in the Air Force and do number things more because there's more positions there for that kind. I of mean, stuff. he flew. He was on a, not piloting. He was on right. a major ship, and his job was to sit at a desk in the air and, yeah. and do stuff in yeah, the air. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's so much it different. wasn't very physically taxing. <laughs> right. And so the, my job was putting on a hundred pounds of gear and walking for seven and a half miles mm -hmm. and possibly getting shot at and then taking cover and doing all sorts of stuff. Man. So in the first four minutes of spec ops, the line you bring down 12 helicopters <laughs> and it, and it's like, the most realistic war experience ever committed to video games. What army are we fighting that has 12 <laughs> helicopters that they can just throw at us? Yeah. That's someone should crunch the numbers on any war game yeah. video game and be like, so the country, the, what the middle Eastern country you're representing would have to have a gross national Excellent. product of this much yeah. to have fielded that military yeah, in that game. Get on it. People. Um, I know, uh, I don't know if I'm going to put it at the beginning or the yeah. end, but you did bring a piece to read oh, sure, yeah. and I definitely want to get that. Did it, do you want to provide any context? Um, if not, I will write context around it. <laughs> There's it, no real context for this other than it was, this was something that I wrote for basically any time, any time that we might be going to war. This is just kind of an emotional and factual accounting of some of the stuff that happened when I was, when I was deployed. Um, because I want to, it was just kind of a way for me to, it was kind of a way for me to, I don't know, to share it in a way that I feel like there's, I'm, I'm, I'm okay at writing. <laughs> ah, you're too modest. <laughs> No, but yeah, it was something that it was a way for me to put my thoughts down and like maybe try to communicate it to other people in a way that wasn't just me like looking at them and saying, hey, this is what happens in war. Mm -hmm. This is you might have to make the decision whether or not to kill someone. Right. You, you will have people that die around you that you lose and you will feel guilt over surviving. And so, yeah, that was it's kind of my, I guess, more artistic way of, um, of expressing just those ideas written during your service or after, um, this was written after this was okay. when I was working at cracked. Gotcha. Yeah. So this was after I'd had some time to kind of adjust and I, I guess find normalcy.
It started out with a sense of patriotism, duty, and pride. Serving your country, especially at a time of conflict, is no small thing. Even when that service included a lot of cleaning, weapons, barracks, vehicles, etc., it was being done with the goal of getting out there and making the world safer. Safer because as an infantryman, it's your job to, quote, close with the enemy by means of fire and maneuver in order to destroy or capture him, or to repel his assault with fire, close combat, and counterattack, end quote. Taking out bad guys, that's it. That's what you're there for. You and your brothers against terror. You've gone beyond just fighting against another army and are trying to take terror out of the world. Then you hear about an old squad leader you knew being killed by an IED. You weren't still in the same unit. He was with the 4th Infantry Division, or maybe it was 1st Cav, but he was a good guy. Not your squad leader, but someone that your buddies really liked, and he's just gone. But there isn't a lot of time to think about it because you're back out on security patrols, you're making the AO safer so that the locals can rebuild and have a stake in the community. Because that's the way you beat an insurgency. That was the point of the surge. And then you see puffs of dirt in front of you and you hear a crack. You're taking cover and your buddies are too. You look around to see where everyone's at, we're all here. You look through your weapon's optics and see them. As your finger reflexively finds the trigger, God damn it. They're wearing a reflective belt. Those were supposed to be the guys we were paying to help pull security. So what do you do? What do you do? He used to break dance. Your first day at the unit, they thought you were going to third platoon. And he was just another lower enlisted guy, but... He was nice to you. <laughs> Even though you ended up in second platoon, you guys were always cool, and at the company party right before deployment, he got into a dance battle with one of your platoon's team leaders, and he was really good at breakdancing. You don't know how bad he's injured or if he's got a good chance to make it, but you've seen the Humvee he was driving. <sighs> His squad leader, another guy that was always cool, had a compound fracture from the incident and still wanted to finish the patrol. You can't do anything but wait for updates. Please be okay. It's been a couple months without anything crazy happening. Another smooth patrol cycle, it's hot as fuck now, and getting some AC and decent food at the FOB sounds great. Then your squad leader tells you something happened. You're not sure what exactly, but two guys from A Company are dead. The squad leader had been with the unit for years, and your squad leader had deployed with him in the initial invasion. Everybody seemed to like him, and now he was gone. Your squad leader wasn't a really emotional guy, but there was something different when he told you guys. Something quieter, more still. It's like she was sleeping. Like that deep sleep kids go into when they're completely out, just limp. But the father's body language is panicked and he's running with her limp body towards the medics. And there's something wrong with her hair. Her hair's dark, so it's hard to tell 
but it looks wet. Doc, which is what we call the medics, looks worried. You've seen him look focused before during drills, but there's something wrong in his eyes. The medevac gets there and takes off as quickly as they can, but you know what you just saw. That's what war was for me. No logical progression, no cinematic moments, no dramatic pauses. War is hearing about an old squad leader you knew just being gone. It's making a decision that could end someone's life. It's not knowing what happened to your friend and just being in limbo with that. It's feeling and seeing something wrong with your mentor and not knowing what or if you should say anything. And it's knowing exactly what you just saw. This has been a Small Beans Endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the small beans grow into huge, giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you!